passage today comes from Matthew, chapter 25. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 36. Hear the reading of God's word. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Here ends the reading of God's word. I hope everybody is awake today as we jump into this. We're going to be talking about a metaphor, uh, an analogy that often gets used in the Bible, not just that Jesus Christ is king, but the idea of shepherd. And some metaphors, some analogies are simply hard to understand. And some really don't work. So I want to get us started by reading to you some actual analogies. These are real metaphors that were turned in on high school English papers. They had a big competition and uh, teachers from all around the country could show some of the worst analogies that students came up with in their English papers. And here is a few of them. He was as tall as a six foot three inch tree. John and Mary had never met. They were like two hummingbirds who had also never met. She had a deep, throaty, genuine laugh, like that sound a dog makes just before it throws up. Her vocabulary was as bad as, like, whatever. His thoughts tumbled in his head making and breaking alliances like underpants in a dryer without cling-free. Her hair glistened in the rain like a nose hair after a sneeze. He fell for her like his heart was a mob informant and she was the East River. (laughs) This is one of my favorites. Her face was a perfect oval, like a circle that it had its two sides gently compressed by a thigh master. Her lips were red and full like tubes of blood drawn by an inattentive phlebotomist. This high schooler thought of a metaphor that used the word phlebotomist. It hurt the way your tongue hurts after you accidentally staple it to the wall. Now listen. When a student writes that, there's a story behind that. This student accidentally stapled their tongue to the wall. I'm trying to think of a scenario where that would have happened. Her artistic sense was exquisitely refined, like someone who can tell butter from I can't believe it's not butter. The plan was simple, like my brother-in-law Phil. But unlike Phil, this plan just might work. And last, but certainly one of my favorites, the little boat gently drifted across the pond exactly the way a bowling ball wouldn't. 
Some metaphors just don't work. They just don't work. Some analogies work and some analogies don't work. Some are just plain strange. And part of the problems with metaphors and analogies is that sometimes they work in certain places, in certain times, in certain contexts, and in certain languages, but they don't work or translate into other contexts. Today is Christ the King Sunday. One of the metaphors that's often associated with Christ and often associated in the ancient Near East with kingship is the metaphor of shepherding. Shepherding is a metaphor that we don't understand because here's the fact. Most of you have never seen a shepherd before in your life. A lot of you have probably never even been around sheep that much, let alone shepherds. And what we knew as sheep is not shepherding. Okay, when we put them in a pen and just leave them out there and go check on them and put hay out, that is not what shepherding in the ancient Near East was like. So most of us have no understanding of what the image of shepherd really is. And when you don't understand it, it doesn't seem to fit. Why would you call a king a shepherd? But today, I want to try to build that bridge a little bit for you. In many cultures in the ancient times, they were shepherding cultures. The bulk of the key to the whole economy was sheep, was shepherding. Sheep and goats made great animals. You could have them for milk, you could have goat milk, you could have them for meat, you could also have them for wool. So it was a very multifaceted industry, a base industry for the economy. It was also used in many uh, um, societies, including Israel society, in the religious system. You would sacrifice sheep and goats. And so it was religious, it was clothing, it was food, it was drink, and it was core to everything that happened in the society. Sheep are fairly easy to take care of. They need a minimum amount of water. They need grass and can be moved from pasture to pasture. As they would move from pasture to pasture, they would fertilize the pastures as they went. If you don't understand that, I'm not going to explain it to you up here. But they would continually be refreshing the field. They're easy to breed. The challenge with sheep is that they're pretty helpless animals. And by helpless I mean dumb. They're pretty dumb animals. They, they will wander off. They are, they are just kind of ridiculous. They take constant care. They will work their way into really stupid situations. Uh, it's actually very smart what we do to keep them in pens. And normally if you watch farmers that keep sheep, they not only keep them in pens, but they keep them in very flat fields in pens because sheep are really pretty stupid. Though sheep were critical to the economy, their care was actually multifaceted. In those days, you didn't have pens. You just had large grasslands. So you had to keep moving around the plains with your group of sheep. You had to stay pretty close to water, but you also had to continually move because sheep would overgraze an area and then there would be no plants and they wouldn't grow back. So you had to keep them moving. Normally, the sheep needed to be 15 to 20 miles away from a water source so that you could bring them there and graze them there in the morning. And in the summer when it gets hotter, they're really no more than about 10, 12 miles away from the water. So you really had to know the area. You had to know the terrain. You had to know where the water was. You had to know where other flocks were. Weather was critical. 
Okay, if you had a storm, that would freak sheep out. You had to know if there was a storm coming, you had to keep your eye on the horizon so you could get the sheep to a place where you could properly take care of them. Shepherds were responsible to breed the sheep, to take care of wounded sheep, to protect them from wolves, to protect them from robbers. They even had to be responsible for the business side, for getting them to market, for getting them ready for market, for selling them. Sheep and goats would be kept together, but for certain periods, particularly for counting your sheep to make sure you didn't lose any, and for um, uh, whenever you went to sell them, you had to be able to separate them. You had to be able to put the sheep on one side, the goats on the other, so you could tell the difference and know how many of each you had. Normally, they had some kind of a rod or a staff, sometimes with a hook so they could separate the sheep. Sometimes it was just a straight staff that they could use more to defend the sheep. Normally, sheep are driven from behind or, or, or led. So you get out in front of the sheep and the sheep will graze and follow you. Sometimes when you're in a hurry, a storm's coming, you might get behind and try to move them quickly into a valley or into somewhere that had some shelter. But normally, you led. Normally, there was one shepherd responsible. They were the head shepherd. Often, they owned the flock. And then there were under shepherds. They were the workers that helped take care of the flock. So you might have a very, very large flock that you had to take care of as a group. And normally the person who was the hired, the the main shepherd, they really took care of the flock because they were really making the money and it was their sheep. The under shepherds often kind of came and went. They weren't always the most reliable of folks. On a typical day, you'd feed the sheep in the morning, get them to some kind of water, and then you would take them to some cool place for the heat of the day, probably somewhere where there were some trees, somewhere there was some shadow in the, uh, of a mountain or something. Now, when the sheep would sleep, you would normally bring them into like a sheep pen. They would have a kind of pen built up with rocks over the hill around so that the sheep could lay in, inside the circle. You could get all these sheep in. Normally, other shepherds would use the same spot so that all your sheep would be warm and protected together. And normally then the sheep, the shepherd would lay down across the entranceway so that none of the sheep could get out and so that nobody would get in to start getting the sheep out. When they would get, wake up in the morning, the sheep would all be together, right? They'd all just kind of mingle and mix between the flocks. So in the morning, the shepherd would have to get up and they would start to call their sheep and they would have their own voice and they'd have their own call for their sheep. So that in the morning, all your sheep could come out and you'd separate the sheep, the goats, make sure you had everybody you were supposed to. And then you would begin your trek to the water and to the grazing of a normal day. This is a very multifaceted view of shepherding, right? Did you know shepherding involves so much? You normally just think, oh, we just take care of sheep. But no, you had to constantly be negotiating all this rough terrain, constantly be making decisions and negotiating change. In the Near East, this was the image of leadership. This was the job that was out there that took the most thought, the most care, the most forward thinking. So not even just in Israel, but all across the Near East and all these shepherding countries, they often called their kings... And their gods, shepherds. That was just part of the imagery. That was the biggest job, the most complicated and hardest job that they had. And so it was a great metaphor for what they expected the gods to do and what they expected their kings to do. But this image is especially strong in Israel. 
Israel was very much a pastoral society. They ran pastures. They had sheep. And think about how many of the great Jewish heroes were shepherds. Let me list them. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Moses spent 40 years as a shepherd of sheep and then spent 40 years as a shepherd of the people of Israel guiding them through the desert. David was a shepherd. Do you remember when they go to get him so that he could be anointed king? Where is he? He's out in the field taking care of sheep. Israel saw their kings, their leaders, their great heroes as shepherds because that's, the, that's what many of them were. It should be no surprise then that the true God of Israel was so often referred to as a shepherd. See if this set of verses sounds familiar to you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23, probably familiar to you, but when you understand shepherds, you understand all the imagery going on, right? God is a caring shepherd providing for, so that you don't want anything. He makes you lie down by green pastures and leads you to waters. Leads you on the paths. That's how you got a sheep. You didn't drive them, you led them. His rod and his staff, images of protection and care. God is the great shepherd. You find this all through the Old Testament. In fact, you even hear Israel's leaders being considered under shepherds. In other words, the kings and priests of Israel are called these underling shepherds that work for the good shepherds, and they are judged accordingly. Listen to these words from Zechariah chapter 10, verse 3. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah. And I will make them like his majestic steed in battle. What's the imagery there? I'm going to take care of my flock, Israel. And I'm going to punish those shepherds that aren't taking care of Israel. You see that? He sees Israel's leadership as the under shepherds. And God is the true shepherd. Are you beginning to grasp the large and multifaceted image of shepherding in the Bible? So it should be no surprise to us also that this imagery is used of Jesus and is actually used of Jesus about himself. Let me read a very famous passage related to shepherding from John 10, starting in verse 7. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. See, now you're getting the imagery, right? Jesus says, I'm the sheep gate. I'm the guy that lays at the sheep gate and protects the sheep and watches the sheep. And I'm the good shepherd that takes care of my people. In fact, Jesus is such a good shepherd 
that he lays down his life for his sheep. This is the interesting twist that happens in Jesus of the image. Jesus is not just the shepherd. He's actually the sacrificial sheep that is slaughtered for the people on the cross. Now, with this background, it's very easy to come back to the passage I read at the beginning and understand what Matthew is trying to describe. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and he's trying to help them understand that Jesus is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And Matthew goes so far as to use the imagery of Moses and David to say, if you, if you go back and read Matthew really subtly, there's a lot of things that Jesus does that Moses in particular and also David do, like going to the wilderness and be tempted. Um, so, so you can read this imagery, and what do those two characters both have in common? They're shepherds. And so when Jesus says that he is the Son of Man coming in glory to sort, sort out the sheep and the goats, he's, he's filling right into this imagery of, of rulership, of leadership, as a shepherd in the Old Testament. He's actually quoting from Ezekiel chapter 34. And in Ezekiel, God is saying that he will search for his sheep and separate the sheep from his goats. So that when Jesus says, I'm going to do this, when the Son of Man does this, he's saying he's God. He's claiming to be God. And the people that read that, that heard him say that, they would have known that. He says when the Son of Man comes, that's the term for the Messiah that's coming. With angels, he says, clearly otherworldly, clearly a king that is not of this world. And what will he do? He will separate the sheep and the goats, just like those shepherds used to. Anybody who read that will have seen that before. They will have remembered seeing, walking by on their way to work or on their way to a meeting or on their way to something. And they would look out in the field and they would see shepherds separating the sheep and the goat. They would have seen that all the time. And Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, he's going to do that. And the king is going to judge and he's going to say to those on his right and on his left, a blessing or a curse. Jesus is making this huge claim to be God, to be king, to be Lord to be ruler of the nations. But he's also making this other huge claim. And and I hope everybody hears this. We are his under shepherds. And we will be judged as the king and priests of Israel were for how we treat the sheep that God has put in our midst. And how are we going to be judged? Jesus tells us some examples. Well, Did you clothe someone who was naked? Did you give food to someone who was hungry? Did you give drink to someone who was thirsty? Did you treat strangers well? Did you care for the sick? Did you visit those in prison? Jesus looks at you and I, and he he gives us this responsibility. Not just that he is the great shepherd of this world, but that we have a responsibility to be shepherds like that for the people around us. And and that means our families. That means shepherding our kids and our grandkids. But it also means we shepherd our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and other people at work, that we care for them, that we tend to them, that we bind up their wounds when they need healing, that we go after them when they seem lost. We are Christ's under-shepherd. Jesus is our king, and he is so much more than a king. 
He's a loving shepherd. May we live our lives as if we are loved by him like those sheep. And may we be faithful under shepherds to him. In Jesus' name, amen.